Now everyone, just a quick note from me before we get into the episode. I've started a series of online events all about how to market and produce webinars successfully. If this is a topic that would interest you, I would welcome you to come along completely free of charge. If you visit pickingupperfection.com slash webinars for all the details, and I'll put that link in the show notes too. Hope to see you there and let's get on with the show. Hi there and welcome to another episode. The following recording was conducted as a live event. To join and participate live next time, head over to my LinkedIn page, where episodes are streamed and conducted live up to three days prior to being released on other platforms. There's also some exclusive recordings and events that only happen on LinkedIn too. I'll go ahead and put my LinkedIn profile in the show notes and you can go ahead and connect with me and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. and welcome to today's session. We encourage your participation through the reaction buttons and please do post any questions in the comments section. We will get to as many as we can. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are joining us live on LinkedIn, we would welcome any comments or questions that you want to post into the chat and we'll try and get to those at the end. And also to get us started almost as an icebreaker, let us know where you are joining from live today. We want to see how international our audience is for this conversation. But as always, you can see that I am not alone in the studio. I am so pleased to be joined by Michael Newton, manager and podcast host at Cvent, COO at the P3 Network, diversity and inclusion, HIV and mental health speaker, and finally, trustee at Positively UK. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for being with me. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to chat today. A busy, busy person, and we were just having a chat. That those uh, that intro doesn't even cover it, folks. Like it goes much deeper than that. Michael is <laughs> so busy, especially at the moment. So we truly appreciate him taking the time. Um, and Michael, I kind of discovered you obviously through LinkedIn, and mm. I we kind of connected over your recent or or fairly recent speech entitled "My More" at one of the Cvent sales kickoffs. Which, yes, uh, if I'm going to post that link after this, I'll put it in the comments because the listeners should definitely check it out because it was amazing. But um, introduce us to yourself. So who are you? What do you do? What does your life look like at the moment? Yeah. Um, so again, hi, everyone. Uh, my, name is, so my name is Michael Newton. Uh, I'm the one of the managers at Cvent. So I look after our account management team uh, specifically for Europe, EMEA, and Singapore. Um, coming up to a decade now uh, at Cvent. So I'm basically part of the, the European furniture as it stands. Um, and then, yeah, on, on top of that, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned through kind of my story, which we'll obviously be talking about, um, wanted to make sure that I was kind of giving back to the world somehow, uh, ended up getting involved in the, the P3 network about seven years ago, which is a LGBTQ plus parenting charity. Um, I always say, my friend set the charity up, I always say the biggest lie he's ever told me in our entire friendship is that this will only be a couple of hours a week. 
<laughs> no, biggest biggest lie anybody has ever told me. Uh, and then kind of from there, I've got involved in, you know, working with other charities such as Positively UK, uh, charities such as Diversity Role Models, um, and then also, you know, sharing my diversity journey and my mental health journey uh, with, you know, corporates and things like this. You mentioned about kind of the the talk I did for CVent, uh, that was, you know, my kind of big talk that I do for corporates, which is always kind of like, well, I'm doing it for corporates, you know, I'm never going to see them again. It doesn't really matter. Suddenly I'm doing this 30 minute talk to my peers and my colleagues kind of bearing my soul. I'm like, what am I doing? These people are going to know everything about me now. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that I find being very transparent as a leader about kind of who you are, how you've become who you are, and, you know, kind of your journey has actually helped me be better at both my day job and everything I do outside of work, but it's also helped a lot of people, I think, feel a lot more comfortable professionally and personally being like, hey, Michael, do you mind if I share this with you? Can I, can I talk to you about this with things that, especially on like a professional level, you might have been apprehensive like oh do i talk to my manager about you know i'm struggling mentally maybe i'm feeling burnout and, and things like this so i i think kind of me being open has helped a lot of other people be be a lot more open in, in that sense as well that's amazing and with your job i'm i'm curious so obviously your your actual paid role is a super busy one yes what gives you the drive to donate your time to other charitable purposes in terms of you know because people maybe people are listening and thinking no way I could <laughs> never fit in even three to four hours if what your friend had said was correct I could never <laughs> squeeze that in there must be a real sort of drive and value behind forcing yourself to do that no uh it's a lot of English breakfast tea uh <laughs> people are surprised that I don't drink I don't drink coffee which people are really surprised about um for me, a lot of it is that the support that I didn't get professionally, medically, mentally, um, whether it be from work, whether it be from the NHS when I found out by my diagnosis, whether it's from my family growing up, things like this, I always wanted people to know that there was somewhere that they could go to. So that for me is the drive of if I know like when I do my talks, I've done, you know, talks for companies like Google, Goldman Sachs, and things like this, for thousands of people. I'm like, if one person leaves that talk feeling that they're, they're seen, that there is a voice for them, I'm like, I've, I've done I've done what I need to do, because that person, that one individual feels helped, feels like they've been listened to, that there's somewhere safe for them. And that, that was always kind of my drive. That was the thing for me that was like, okay, if I'm doing this, why am I doing it? And it's really so that I can see things happening that I didn't get. Because I always think that people need to lead by example. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will sort somebody else isn't going to sort it out at the end of the day. So if you're able to be that voice or be that kind of force of action to get something done, um, I think you should kind of take the ball by the horns, if it were, and kind of do it and, and not necessarily kind of question oh am I the right person to like people say oh Michael you're diversity and inclusion I'm not I'm an expert in my experience mm -hmm. in diversity equity and inclusion I'm an ex 
an expert in my experience within mental health and, and things like this. Uh, I'm by no means an expert in all of it, uh, but I can share my experience and, you know, maybe somebody can take something away from that. And that's, that's always been kind of the driving force for me. That's incredibly powerful. And I'm also, I feel connected to you on the, because I'm a big advocate of if it's just one person, you know, that I've helped. And that's the reason for having this podcast, doing sessions like this, because <coughs> I'm sort of measuring that on if I, if only one person comes away from this feeling, you know, better about themselves. And we definitely share the value of transparency. And I think it's, it's so powerful to think that, you know, when people say, what can you do to help be transparent? You could just be yourself. You could just share yep. your story. Uh, because like you say, there is no stamp of, no, you're officially qualified now as a diversity and inclusion expert. That's kind of not what it's about. And it's almost the the opposite of what it's about. It should really be people opening up and feeling comfortable to share stories and share personal things um, that they perhaps feel have held them back in the past. Yeah, and I think when you look at specifically diversity and inclusion, it's such a broad piece as well. Um, and I part of the whole scope of diversity and inclusion is that often the issue around it is that people aren't invited to a table to be a part mm -hmm. of a conversation. So I'm not a, you know, I'm not an expert in let's let's take black culture. I'm not an expert in the in the experiences that black people go to go through. However, I can be a voice for them at a room or a table that they're not invited for. Now, if they were, I would back them up. I would never speak over them. And I think that's the importance of kind of allyship in that respect is that you're able to be a voice when that voice isn't heard. You're able to advocate for that voice to be invited. And then when that voice is invited, you never speak over them, but you speak with them. And I think that's the importance of when you when you look at diversity and inclusion specifically, it's everybody is able to help everybody. Every different strand of diversity and inclusion on the whole kind of spectrum, you know, there's certain pieces where it does run in specific silos. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, we're all fighting for, for the same thing. We're all fighting for, for acceptance. We're all fighting for, you know, love and acknowledgement and to be included in kind of the wider voice and the wider discussion of things um so it's great when i see you know podcasts like this happening other groups that i kind of work with as well um you know really looking at beyond their own diversity spectrum and looking at okay how do we create voices and make sure that these other groups are also heard so that we realize actually as and i i hate the I hate referring to any but like as minority groups. I, mm. I absolutely just I despise that term. Absolutely despise it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, people that are considered part of these minority groups, if you will, are actually a lot more similar across the different spectrums than people probably actually think. I think sometimes in the diversity and inclusion space, when you talk about things collectively, there's almost feels like a competitive culture between the two different groups. Yep. So I love your message of uniting, inviting others, um, because, you know, it should be inclusive. We should be yep. 
speaking on behalf of each other and inviting each other to the table. I want to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier, which um, I, it does make sense and I want to dive into it a little bit more. So the fact that you said you're more comfortable sharing your story and your big speech with strangers than you felt perhaps yeah. doing it to your peers. Talk <laughs> to us about that. It's yeah, it is. It is a weird it is a weird one. I think part of it was um, because at the, at the time that I I did the talk. I'd been at Cvent um, seven and a half years. It was coming up to my eight-year anniversary, and I think you know, every everyone that you work, you always have a perception of people that that you work with. You know, kind of the you know the type of person they are, and all this kind of stuff. And I think when it comes to sharing really personal stuff with I think especially people that you work with, it's is the mentality around who I am going to change? Will I get treated differently? Kind of thing. Um, and you know, I'm so grateful isn't the right word because it shouldn't be the word that's used, but you know, thankful that you know everything that came out of me doing that talk was beyond the level of positivity that I could have imagined. Um, it was like standing ovation, like people coming up to me afterwards, kind of sharing their stories, people being shocked about things that I went through in my childhood. And they were like, I text my kids afterwards to tell them why I loved them. And they were like, that's a weird text for you to send me. Why, what? And they were like, I'll, I'll speak to you about it later. Um, <laughs> and, and things like that. And it, I think, I've gone through a lot of different things within my life and there's kind of different things that people are able to to resonate with um whether it be the they have kids themselves they're like oh my god I can't imagine my child having to go through that uh or about when I got my diagnosis and the mental health oh my god I can't imagine having to go through that or I did go through that oh my god it's I thought it was just me that experienced that at that time um I, you know, when I when I look at my HIV, I still have a lot of friends that feel a lot of shame around it, and they are to this day, and I've been doing talks like this for probably five or six years now, um, are baffled that I will get on a stage in front of thousands of people and be like, "So on October third, twenty twelve, I got told I had HIV. This is what I went through. This is how I dealt bad. This is how I badly dealt with it." Um, and things like this, but I think what you ultimately have to look at is is the outcome. I think people tend to focus on this negative moment that happened, and like, oh my god, I can't believe like you went through, like, oh my god, that's so. But the fact that I'm able to kind of be like, well, yeah, all of this kind of crappy stuff did happen, but it's made me the person I am today. And without having gone through that, I wouldn't have achieved all of this awesome stuff that I've also done. Um, and when I when I think back to the Sivan one, it's I remember being I remember being stood backstage and got kind of mic'd up. And the guy that was doing the mics, he was like, Are you okay? I was like, Yeah, I'm fine. He was like, Are you sure? I was like, Yeah. And then I looked at my hand and my hand was literally like this. <laughs> he was like, Are you sure you're I was like, Yeah, I was like, Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but then I got on stage and I kind of saw all of my friends and colleagues. I was like, Okay, start with a joke. Start with a joke. So I got kind of kicked off with a joke and when I do tell my story, I do like to put kind of humor in there because I think mm -hmm. 
it makes people realize that oh it's oh it's okay to laugh at bad stuff yeah. it's okay to find the humor in the negativity um and that's really something that i try to kind of take into kind of every aspect of my life it's like okay that where's the silver lining here like what's you know something somebody at work is like oh i did oh i did this really bad deal da, 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 da. i was like okay that's fine what did you learn what are you mm. not gonna like what did you learn to not do next time let's let's take a positive out of this um and yeah that's very that's very much kind of become my mentality but from the yeah I just remember being incredibly nervous about that because then when you compare it to doing a talk for a company where you know I've maybe been invited I know a few of them through kind of general chit chat beforehand and kind of prep and things like this I'm like well I'm not going to see any of these I'm going to caveat that with something usually the logic is I'm not going to see any of these people again however I was in Soho uh about six months ago and somebody came up to me was like oh my god you're michael you're the hiv guy i was like not my official title but thank you very much <laughs> it turned out he had he had watched what he had he had been uh, he had seen the the talk i had done for google uh i was like it's it's just michael but thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> and it was just i was like it was a bizarre interaction um but yeah it's that kind of i'm not going to see these people again but they'll take something away whereas mm. i'm going to see these people every day what might that do to their kind of perception of me as a leader as just a person what does it do for their perception of the gay community and and things like that um but yeah nothing but positivity has come out of it thankfully from a per on a personal level on a professional level uh you know it was the start of a lot of conversations happening in at work really about kind of mental health well-being um a lot of kind of diversity inclusion topics started to be discussed a lot more so it it was a really great trajectory to be to help be a start of mm. to to come back to your friends feeling sort of i'm going to use the word like cringe or uncomfortable about you yep. you being so open and, and vulnerable on stage I, I can completely relate, but I think that to kind of remove stigma, we have to have, we have to start with uncomfortable conversations. That's often how it happens. Yep. Um, I'm curious as well. So since you've been so open and vulnerable, I mean, I assume that some people at Cvent knew prior to that, that speech yeah. or yeah. Do you feel more connected to your, the majority of your colleagues that didn't know from putting out that vulnerability on that speech after? 100 100 um <clears throat> you know it it opened up conversations not just about my hiv um you know there were people there was a guy specifically who spoke to me afterwards that he was like my brother has hiv and as a family we just we've never discussed it it's we we all know it's mm -hmm. it's there it's just never been discussed as a family um and he kind of spoke to me about this afterwards and he was like i now feel comfortable actually bringing this up as a discussion with him because what you were talking about about kind of when you found out believing that it was a death sentence it was you know something that was going to kind of banish you almost from the community from your family from your friends and things like this that that was what i thought it really was and have almost kind of stepped back a little bit 
but then find out kind of a, maybe like a couple of months later he messaged me and was just like we had like a discussion about it and it's actually it actually feels great to know that we're able to support him by just being here which is something that we haven't been so you know knowing that things like that are happening um but with with my friends it's less about necessarily finding it cringe that i'm kind of doing the talk i think it's more that they don't understand and this is going to sound weird they don't understand necessarily the growth of people's perception around hiv mm. uh, because when 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 you look at things like and i would say this and i do want people to take this comment with a pinch of salt um there's still a lot of stigma within the and i'm going to focus on the gay community versus the rest of the lgbtq plus mm. um there's still a lot of stigma around hiv within the gay community um you know on dating apps and things like this i still get messages from guys be like oh my god like you've got hiv oh gross and it's still got a lot of that stigma around it but i think a lot of it is because within the media we still don't necessarily see the the joy around you know you don't see the love story of hiv and things like that you see the death you see the promiscuity around it or mm -hmm. things that you see kind of the things that conceived as kind of negative connotations around it um and i think that is still what people are concerned about is well you know as a gay man people are going to assume that i'm like this because that's what they've seen on tv and that's what they saw in this tv show and things like this and they're going to assume that i got it because of this where you know when we look at uh last year more heterosexual people were diagnosed with hiv than gay people mm. i think it was 49 percent 49% of diagnoses were in hiv of hiv were in heterosexual people whereas 45% were in gay and bisexual men mm -hmm. and that's the first time ever that it's been flipped that way but i find that out through doing research like that wasn't something that was publicly in the news whereas if it had been like a much higher if it had been oh 70% of hiv cases are in gay men and 20% are in straight people that would have been all over the news it's like why is there not why is why is it not flipped around in in that sense and kind of we're doing the reverse education of hey like actually you know part of the issue with the way that those diagnoses has ended happen is that it's conceived as being a gay illness it's a gay disease uh so a lot of heterosexual people don't get tested uh which is why a lot of those cases i think 55 percent of the 49 were 54 percent, i think it was actually were all over 50, 55 years in age because they had just, and they had had the illness for years. They were just never, they just, oh, I've, I've got flu because the symptoms are so very similar mm -hmm. to flu. Um, and then they went and got tested kind of years and years later because they were still feeling ill. And it's like, oh, actually you have, you have HIV. Um, so I think there needs to be a global education, but it does also need to be an education within the community because and within any community, I don't think you're going to get acknowledgement, acceptance, equality uh, from outside communities 
unless you have that within your own community. So unless within the gay community, we start treating people as equals, we start not targeting people because they've got HIV, because they're fat, because they're this, because they're that, and we just kind of accept people for who they are, we're never going to get that full level of acceptance from other communities that really dictate the way that we get to live our lives. Mm. And I think that this is why it's so important that you're front and center in the way you are for me, because you're quite clearly, Michael, evidence of absolutely thriving despite, you know, the situation that you're in and what's happened in the past. So totally commendable on that. And while you were talking there, it's it's something kind of struck me about that this is a situation where stereotype and stigma becomes really dangerous. Because if someone is thinking that only gay men can get HIV, then they're putting themselves, you know, it's not even a mental risk, that is a full physiological risk, you know, like, well, it's a disease, isn't it? It's going untreated, it can be incredibly dangerous. So I think changing the narrative on that is very important. not to go into it too politically, but a part of that for me resides in the somewhat problematic way that it was first published in terms of put into the the media press. Um, If anyone doesn't know this, I mean, I wasn't around, but this image still kind of, I wasn't around, that sounds awful. I I didn't see this on the TV. I don't think this was before my time, but I know the advert where a gravestone drops down and uh, the word AIDS is hammered into it. And it's pretty harrowing. It's sort of horror movie kind of quality of um, uh, video. So yeah, um, totally that does contribute to it. Leaflets were posted through front doors specifically about, you know, scaremongering around it um you know um if if you've never seen it uh, i recommend uh, watching a normal heart um it was uh, at the national uh, a couple of years ago uh, there's also a movie around it and it's one of the most beautiful pieces of theater that i've ever seen um i was in the front row just started sobbing uh <laughs> i was like my family's like you need to stop because you're going to put them off because they're really close i was like i can't stop this happened when we saw Rent as well. You knew you should have got tickets for this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, for the joke. Second half of Rent, they start singing Five uh, Seasons of Love. Just start gushing. Random woman said, are you okay, love? I was like, I'm fine. It's <laughs> like the entire second act, just uncontrollable. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's one, it's one of those things that it's with that level of education, kind of seeing okay, this is, this is what people went through and knowing that it's, it's so much more different now. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. when, when I got my diagnosis, um, which, was, which was 2012, you would think, oh, like probably like super advanced then. No, um, I got the diagnosis. They did a, so they could do like a finger prick text um, to check for a positive. Uh, they can get false positives, so they'll do a second one. If that comes back positive, it's pretty much like 99% sure that it is a positive. Um, they'll then take bloods to send off to get kind of a more accurate, okay, what is the viral load like, things like this. Um, but they took those bloods and I was just, they were just like, okay, cool, we'll see you in two weeks. And that was it. Wasn't given any information, wasn't given kind of, hey, like if you need support, call this number, things like this. Um, and it, yeah, it was really difficult for me. And it's great that through the work that I've been able to do at at P3, we've done campaigns around, you know, parenting with HIV, which is P3 
people are like, what? You can do that? Shocking, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been able, we've been able to kind of work with like the NHS, Dean Street, places like this on, hey, like what are, what's the what's the material that we're kind of, that's being given out? Like how are people being supported? How are they being guided to these to these kind of different areas? So being able to really take what was such a negative experience for me and know that it's been somewhat translated into a more positive experience for more people to come uh that for me is you know i'm not gonna say worth having gone through it but you get what i mean <laughs> you know mm. some somebody somebody always has to go through something negative for somebody to get something positive out of it and i'm like okay this for me was such a negative thing to deal with knowing that everybody or the majority of people that are to come will have a more positive experience about it for me is just i'm like that makes my negative a positive in in the long run of it all yeah yeah like a sort of counterbalancing almost yeah and it's just like you said earlier you know when we face adversity technically that kind of makes up who we are and if we didn't have that you might not be the person you are today so it's very difficult to kind of look back and say I wish this never happened to me because actually that you know it might not have led to some of the positive things um, in your life so it's sort of yeah whilst it's difficult um to not look back and not look into the past and sort of regret or wish it's sort of it doesn't help does it it's sort of yeah. you need to sort of look forward um and focus on the present yeah, no, it's, you know, I always say it's fine to look back, but look at what you can learn. Like mm. I, you know, through my childhood, through coming out as gay, through my HIV, through my mental health battles and things like this, I don't look at any of it as a negative. At the time, definitely did. It was like, mm. this is this is a bad thing that's going on. Um, but now as an adult, I'm like, okay, what have I learned from that? And like you said, I wouldn't be the person that I am, I probably maybe wouldn't have the drive that I have today had I not gone through those kind of somebody want somebody told me that they were like they're traumas. I'm like, mm, they're not trauma. I like to I like to think of them as chapters. Mm. So each of them is a different chapter in my life. And you know, people often go back and read books that they've read before when I'm reflecting on things that have happened. I'm just going back and I'm just looking back over that chapter and then mm. close it. Maybe I'll go back and look at it again um because i think it's again trying to put a positive on a negative trauma is such a negatively connotated word if yeah. i refer to those portions of my life as chapters that's just kind of a it's a it's a non-positive negative it's just very much a limbo kind of thing um so yeah that for me is kind of how i how i do, deal with that mm, no definitely we need to be careful about the language that we use because yeah you know trauma is an okay word to use but like you say if it doesn't feel right to you then there's no reason to label it that because it almost it puts almost a bit of bias or kind of propaganda yeah. in your mind doesn't it if you're kind of labeling it in a certain way so i think that's a a smart attitude um to, to touch upon your career as well michael so you said you've been was it almost or over 10 years with CBA? uh it, it will be 10 years in june so yeah okay. nine nine and a half at the moment so yeah coming up <laughs> coming up <laughs> Tell us about how did you start? What does your trajectory look like through CBA? Because obviously I feel like you're very senior. You certainly sound very senior. Lots of responsibilities looking after uh, three regions. How did you start out in CBA? Uh, so I, so CBA came along. I was actually part of the team that launched Yelp in, in Europe back in 2012. 
Um, and then wasn't loving it. Um, and then Steven actually reached out to me uh, late late 2012. Uh, they were kind of they were looking to launch within within Europe. They were looking to get kind of a sales team kind of started. Um, and then I joined as a um, business development rep in June of 2013. So kind of you know doing the cold calling, trying to get kind of people interested in in the product, having to spell the company name because people were like who, <laughs> like what are you on about? event tech what's that like very much like those conversations um and then from there just kind of you know steadily grown moved from that team to the account management team uh late 2014 and they've just kind of developed kind of as i've gone through um mm. and you know it's been great to be on that trajectory when we when i started we were a team of eight so we were four Americans that have flown over, four local hires. Um, you know, seven of the eight are still at the company, which is mm. fantastic. Uh, three of us are still UK based. Um, and it's been great to kind of see the way that not just the company has been able to grow within, within the market, but also the way that the industry has kind of continued to expand in, in the, the last kind of 10 years. And, um, you know, yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a roller coaster. You know, mm. events and sales kind of we talked about this kind of collided as two colossal mammoth beasts just kind of <laughs> running into each other. And let's see what happens. Um, but you know, for me, it makes every day exciting. Uh, mm. You know, I don't necessarily know. Okay, like what's you know what events are going to land on on our desk uh, this day uh you know what what are the team going to need to kind of be supported with and things like this and then also factored in the cultural differences of working with you know people in the uk people germany spain uh netherlands dubai india singapore and then also kind of our american australian uh, offices as well so it really does kind of keep it exciting um you know it's great that as an organization it really is kind of an open door policy uh you know there's no stupid questions things like this uh, you know our senior leaders you know treat everyone kind of as equals which is for me very new when i started the company you know kind of the ceo kind of knowing you by name and kind of coming up and having a chat i was like you're immediately like what have i done wrong why am i in trouble and there's like no just like one stop chat <laughs> um which i had never had at any other company that i'd worked at previously um so you know it's i've i've loved the journey that i've been on at cvent and continue will continue to kind of see myself kind of on that journey as well um and you know i love working in the events industry as well you know it was, i think it's the biggest collection of the most interesting bizarre and weird people just all coming together with <laughs> a, sim a similar-ish goal yeah. <laughs> um and yeah you know kind of just being able to connect with people and then you know also because the conversation now is so much more than just events it's mm. sustainability it's diversity and inclusion it's all of these other topics that traditionally were just kind of like mm, maybe you know it's i i chat with my, my friend gabby about you know mammals you know, gone are the days where you just have a panel that's full of, you know, 
40, 50 year old white men. Um, I was on a panel in October and I was the only white person and I was the only man on that panel. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was like, I love this because we're now getting such different, we're all talking about the same topic, but we get such different dialogues, such different viewpoints, such different perspectives on the same topic that yeah. everybody is leaving with a much broader education around that same topic. Whereas previously it would have been, I don't want to say all of it the same, but fairly similar viewpoints and opinions and perspectives because they all have the same or similar lived histories in terms of kind of their experience within that category. Yeah, absolutely. And I think events is an an excellent vessel for building that, you know, yes. those important messages, diversity and inclusion, sustainability. And I totally agree. I absolutely love working in the events industry. I was once on a podcast and I described the events industry as uh, if you don't fit in anywhere else, you'll certainly fit in in the events industry. And I stand 100%. by that. I think it's such a welcoming community and industry to work in. Um, and how crazy as well to to, to look back, because Seven, it's it's the powerhouse name in the events industry, isn't it? To look yeah. back, you know, what did you say, eight, eight years ago or when it was launching in Europe? Uh, so it was 20, 2013 uh, we launched in Europe officially. So to think that we didn't have Cvent in Europe in 2013, like that's yeah. not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's, you know, it's fully integrated. It's part of the ecosystem. So really wonderful. And I love uh, what you described about the culture. It sounds so amazing. And it speaks volume that you and the majority of the other people that started uh, remain there today. I always like to finish Michael on a bit of advice, a bit of actionable tips if we can. So if someone's listening to this conversation and thinking, I would like to be able to be more honest and open at work to enable the connection that we've talked about today, what kind of advice would you give and how can leaders as well support that conversation? Yeah, so I think from a kind of, a, let's let's call it general employees versus kind of leaders, from kind of an employee standpoint, it, I think it's important that you do it in, in your own stead. Um, you don't look at, oh, well, Michael did it this way. That must be the way that it has to be. Or Alistair did it this way. That must be the way that it used to happen. Um, you know, everybody gets comfortable with with their own kind of way of dealing with things. Um, you know, I would say typically, you know, the advice would maybe be find somebody who is your advocate at your organization, somebody who is going to kind of push for you. If you've got a manager that you're close with or you know, you wanted to get like a mentor who's even kind of outside of the realm of who and what you do within your job, find that find that person that is going to be your advocate because they'll be able to kind of help you. And at the same time, within that, you know, every, everyone's got their kind of work family, the kind of people, you know, they're like, oh, we socialize inside work and we do everything outside work together. We're so close, like that type of thing. Um, you know, they're the, they're the people to start with as well. So, you know, start to, you know, if you're comfortable kind of telling those people, tell those people, then, you know, that will slowly kind of help you become more comfortable with that. You know, I look at my HIV, didn't really tell anyone at CVM when I first started and then told a few people. Then I changed medication and I started to have to take the medication while I was at work. So then my medication was on my desk and people were like, what's that? I'd be like, oh, it's my HIV meds. And then just like carry on typing an email. They go to, I remember somebody slack, but she was like, oh my God, Michael, I'm so sorry. I embarrassed you. I was like, oh, you did embarrass me. Like in in the slightest. Um, so it's about making sure that you feel comfortable with what you are doing. 
Um, from a leadership perspective, I think the important thing, and I think leaders often forget about this, is to actually lean into empathy. Um, I think a lot of people see empathy to a certain extent as a weakness. It's actually your biggest strength as a leader. Um, you know, I'm definitely a much better leader since I did that talk and people realized, oh, Michael is just a human. He's not this like gay robot. He's, you know, he's got feelings, he's got emotions, you know, he is somebody that's approachable. Um, cause I think once people see the, oh, you have a vulnerability. Cause I think there is almost kind of a, a shut as a, as a leader. You know, oh, we need to kind of shut down this barrier. There has to be a certain level of distance. I think once that is opened, A, it makes your team feel more comfortable about coming to you with difficult things, whether it be something at work or something personal. Um, but as a result of that, it's actually, I found it actually has my team work better. Uh, you know, I think they work harder as a, as a unit. They work harder individually because they know that they have you know, that level of support, they know that they can come to me with something that's maybe happening in their personal life or something that's happening professionally. And it's not going to be a judgment. It is going to be a, hey, let's, let's discuss this. Let's talk through how we can kind of deal with this. So for leaders, I would say lean into empathy um, as, as your kind of biggest strength, because it is, it is going to be your biggest strength. Excellent advice. No, wonderful. Uh, thanks so much for sharing. Michael, we're just about out of time. Um, for everyone tuning on on LinkedIn um, and listening on the podcast, we will put our LinkedIn profiles below. If anyone does have any follow-up questions, I'm sure uh, myself and Michael would welcome those via DMs. Um, Michael, it's been such a pleasure. And I really want to thank you as well. Thank you for being so open and, and vulnerable. It, it feels, um, you know, we've never met. This is the first time we've spoken on the phone, but I feel really connected to you. I think there's such value in that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. I uh, really enjoyed it. Good to hear. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you so much for joining everyone. Please do remember to connect and follow Alistair and today's speakers. See you next time.